And that's a function of always coming back to these fundamental principles that were there only one person in the world, me, Christ still would have had to die. Yeah. And that's, um, that's a heavy thing to hold, but it's a beautiful thing to proclaim. Welcome again to the Stand Firm podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, here with Matt Kennedy of Church of the Good Shepherd Anglican in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of Christ Church Anglican in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. How are you guys today? Doing great, Pretty Nick. Good. Pretty Summertime good. where you are yet, Matt, or are you still complaining about the weather? I am complaining about the weather again, but not for the same reason. It's hot <laughs> now in New York, and nobody in New York has air conditioning because That's right. It's only hot for a few weeks. No. So it's I'm always at, it's yeah. always sort of summer here. It's it gets a variation between warm and hot. Sort of yeah. the uh, two the two temperatures here in Mount Pleasant, which I'm which I'm not complaining about. But right. you are close to the beach. Since moving down here from Louisville, I have yet to uh, wear socks. Um, <laughs> so, <I> mean, <laughs> your yeah. dream your dream is coming to fruition. It's true. That's not true. I wear them on Sunday because I was shamed once because I said oh. it was un it was unseemly uh, for a minister to be sockless. So I said. Took I think that that's probably true. I think it probably. Well, it's, it, I've never missed a Sunday yet with a male, so that's good. <laughs> well, you guys, listen, our country is still reeling from the combined effects of the continuing uncertainty due to COVID-19, the nationwide protests in the wake of the tragic death of George Floyd. As Christians grapple with how to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ into this cultural moment and how to act justly, how to do mercy, how to walk humbly, with God during this time, I found myself returning over and over again to the Christian doctrine of original sin. What does it mean that people are sinners, that we are sinners from our birth, that we are all sons and daughters of Adam and Eve? How does original sin differ from the way most people normally think of sin, which is just the things that we do or don't do in our daily lives? So to kick off our conversation today, I thought I'd read Article 9 from the Anglican 39 Articles of Religion. We are three Anglican clergy here, and then ask you guys to reflect on sin, original and otherwise. So here's Article 9, entitled, Of Original or Birth Sin. Original sin standeth not in the following of Adam, as the Pelagians do vainly talk, but it is the fault and corruption of the nature of every man that naturally is engendered of the offspring of Adam, whereby man is very far gone from original righteousness and is of his own nature inclined to evil, so that the flesh lusteth always contrary to the spirit, and therefore in every person born into this world it deserveth God's wrath and damnation. And this infection of nature doth remain, yea, in them that are regenerated, whereby the lust of the flesh, called in Greek, which some do expound the wisdom, some sensuality, some the affection, some the desire of the flesh, is not subject to the law of God. And although there is no condemnation for them that believe and are baptized, yet the apostle doth confess that concupiscence and lust hath of itself the nature of sin. What do you guys thinketh of that? You know, it's very, it's, it's such a contrary truth to what I think most, most Americans are brought up with in public school and at home, you know, you, you know, deep down inside, you're a great person. I mean, you're like gold deep you down inside. You can do anything you set your mind to. You can do anything you set your mind to. And, um, and, and really, you know, what the, the whole goal of your life is to find out who you really are and kind of live out that truth. 
and the enemy, the, 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 the person, the people who will, or the, the power, I guess, that is opposed to you is outside, you know, the negative influences, um, right. people who believe the wrong things, people who do the wrong things, they might interrupt your quest to find the true good you and live in accordance with who you are. But, but once you find it, you know, then, then, then you have achieved what our, I think our society would understand as justification. You, you, you have uh, reached the, the, the reward, which is, which is living in accordance with who you really are. And you know, so this is, this is so contrary to our, our cultural idea of the self that I think when people are first working their way into the church, when they, after, after the first moment of conversion, even though they might have recognized that they, if they were truly converted, they would have had to recognize themselves as sinners. It's just such a massive worldview shift yes. that it takes a long time to percolate, and, uh, per- percolate through into all the different ways that, that the person thinks about, about the world and other people around them. Yeah, I mean, it was such a big, it was such a big shift. I mean, you could, you could argue that this was the, the precipitating cause of the Reformation itself. I mean, you can look at the, 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 the argument between Luther and, um, and the Roman Catholic Church, at least the flashpoint of it in the beginning over the 95 Theses was surrounded the, the understanding of penance, you know, because there was a, at the medieval Roman Catholic system had, had developed by the time Luther came through to a sort of a dance between contrition and attrition and the role of the church and the sacraments. And there was all this way to sort of deal with sin management. And it was all in service of this idea that in order to be right with God, you had to be rid of sin, uh, ultimately, which makes a lot of sense. I mean, in the presence of a holy God, how could one stand? Well, that's how when Luther found that the righteousness of God revealed from heaven, first for the Jew, then for the Greek, was the very own righteousness of Christ himself purchased by faith that would then clothe the believer in that. Then his entire understanding of sin changed precisely around the question of penance and repentance, because as his first article says, uh, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he will the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. So if you were slowly divesting yourself of sin over your lifetime, well, then that would mean that at the end of your life, you would have less to repent of than, than the day before, which is the exact opposite of what the trajectory of a Christian sanctification is, which we see in Romans 7, which is that the hardened human heart over a lifetime of becoming more and more uh, fleshly, beating with more and more blood, uh, feels more and more deeply. And often what one is feeling uh, to, the, to the deep depths, as it were, is, is the weight and wages of sin. You know, not that that takes, and, and that was the dance that, you know, Ashley Knoll has this in his book on Cranmer. He says that the art, argument about the Reformation um, within the English church and the, and the Lutheran and the, and the Swiss was really just a debate over how best to understand Augustine. That was really what it was. And Augustine, of course, would have been the great defender of original sin against Pelagius, which we even reference in our Article 9. So I think it's, it's, it's entirely right to say, Matt, like you did, that there are there is a at the heart a an either or worldview here really you know either man human beings are born into corruption and in need of um, of of like we said before substitution and redemption or we are born um, you know slightly off you know a little out of focus and the rest of our life is to uh, be refocused polished up fixed and sit on our way and I think that you could um, you know that affects your child rearing that affects your well first of all it affects your marriage or your relationship you know, if you think you're entering into a relationship with someone who, who if they tried a little harder, could 
couldn't annoy you so much, you know, it would be like, you know, if you think, and it, then it extends to your children and it has ramifications for understanding of, of politics, of, of family life, of church and, and everything. So I think it's, it's a right and worthy um, uh, thing to consider uh, for a Christian at, at every moment. J.D., I think I've heard you say this. I'm not sure if you were quoting somebody else or not. So this is your opportunity to either take credit <laughs> unwarrantedly or to, to share it with somebody else. But I believe you said at one point something like the sinful life is not what makes a sinner, i.e. you're not called a sinner because of the sum of the sinful things you do. You do sinful things right. because you are a sinner. That's right. And that gets to our sin nature. I mean, that's the fact that we are born into sin by, by nature. We are children of Adam. And you even look at the account in Genesis 2 and 3, where, you know, before the fall in Genesis 2 and Genesis 3, the, the action of sin, i.e. the transgressing of the commitment, was a fruit of the previous fall into the state of sin, which, is, which was the unbelief. As the, as the serpent said, you know, did God really say, um, you know, did God, right. can he be trusted? Is this a, is this a trustworthy promise? making God. And we, in our, in the entrance of sin into the world said, no, said, or at least we're not sure, you know, and then the next thing um, that, that happens is all manner of sins come out. And so this is, this is what the article addresses directly. It says original sin standeth not in the following of Adam, meaning at least whereby not primarily. we just do things. That's right. Yeah. As the Pelagians do vainly talk, but is the fault and corruption of the nature of every man that naturally is engendered of the offspring of Adam. Now this is a, I mean, those are fighting words. I mean, the fact that they're in the in the thirty nine articles when they were during all the discussion surrounding the um, the sort of the development of the English Church after the Reformation, um, these were in context very powerful statements of identity and theological um, sort of differentiation over against uh, Roman Catholics. And then ultimately, this would be a dividing point between Methodists uh, to a certain degree and Anglicans, because there was a different understanding of, of the freedom of the will uh, within Methodism, Methodism that, um, you know, takes a lot of different faces throughout history. But at the very least, there is a difference. And so we see that this, this understanding of original sin is the, you know, I don't want to say it's the litmus test, but it, it, it would uh, colors every other aspect of your, of your theological uh, formulation, just soteriology, how, how you understand salvation, your homartiology, as we've talked about, which we didn't define last week. I apologize. That is a, uh, the, the doctrine of sin, you know, I mean, you have your... I think everybody knows what it means. <laughs> that's right. Everybody knows. Uh, that's right. Is your homartiology showing, Nick. Um, <laughs> But um, <laughs> so I think this was a tough one, though. I mean, because this has ramifications, obviously, for salvation. I mean, we have an article on uh, predestination and election. But if everyone's born as a sinner and sin separates you from God and it's only by faith in Jesus Christ that you're made right with him, well, then, that, of course, that hangs and leaves the great question. What about people who, who seem to be good, who aren't Christians, you know, right. who seem to be? And, of course, you know, I think there's a, there's a real pastoral reality to that that sends people like you and me out into the world preaching, you know, I mean, that worries me actually, but fundamentally it also points to the, uh, to the confession of the sovereignty and ultimately the, 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 the wisdom of God, which is unfathomable and mysterious as Paul says in Romans, um, you know, 10 and 11, that, that fundamentally that question is me banging my head against uh, uh, railing against the door of a closet that's marked, you know, wisdom that's too great and majestic for you to, to uh, comprehend. And so, um, but nevertheless, it does have ramifications as Matt, we were saying for every, every conceivable theological conjecture 
about about God because it fundamentally is a definition of of the human before before God is one in Adam. And let me let me interject real quick with a clarification. Would you say that it's true that the doctrine of original sin does not mean that everyone is the worst possible version of themselves. <laughs> They're not right. the most sinful Present they company. could ever be. Right. <laughs> so, right. I mean, we got to, we got to live in this with the idea of common grace. Right. Is. Rather than everyone being the most sinful possible version of themselves because they are originally sinners. It just means that we are all of us tainted by sin originally. Yes. Yes. I mean, I mean, I think like when, when the average person reads through, say, Romans chapter 3, verses uh, 10 through 18, you know, all, no one sees God, all have fallen away, their tongues are the ass, or yeah. like, you know, everyone lies. They read that and they think, oh, wait a minute, that's not me. You know, my neighbor's not like that. I, I, my, I, I took out my neighbor's trash the other day. I, 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 <laughs> and I felt know, really I, good about it. I, I felt, I, you know, I'm, not, I'm not that bad, you know? So, right. Um, so I, but what Paul's describing there is the, is the, the heart, breadth. is the soul, right? The it's the breadth it's of sin. So yeah. God, because he's gracious, has, has shed upon all human beings a kind of common grace yes. where we're restrained by our conscience, we're restrained by, by, by our society itself, by what um, other people's consciences. Yes. And, and so we don't do what we would do if all restraint were released. I mean, if there was nothing holding us back, then Romans 3 verses 10 through 18 would be what the world looks like all the time. And but we see glimpses of that. As, right. as, as JD, I know you're ready to say, just like in Ghostbusters 2. That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters 2? What? Yes, Ivan Reichman is a genius and a great theologian. Because remember, in Ghostbusters 2, there's a giant river of anger, a psychosemitic ooze running under the streets of New York that, that when the anger finally rose, it threatened to to unleash you know upon the world in all sorts of terrible ways. And that's I, I human don't heart. That. Well, that's 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 more about you than me, Matt. I'll afraid. have to go but, back um, and watch this. That's right. Yeah. But I think uh, you're exactly right. And I think that's where that's where, you know, again, back to Luther. I mean, this is what my main person I read, although I'm branching out, uh, but anyway, you know, it talks about the the dual sort of confession uh, of of our need for Christ is also our our need well well the confession of christ is one but the flip side of that is our need for him because it's often difficult to believe that we actually merited the death that he took for us that we actually are complicit in the sin that that saw him there you know as the hymn said that's a and i think that's sort of the dual work of the holy spirit like we talked about um couple weeks ago the enlightening of your heart to the the your complicity and your need is the gracious yeah. hand to a certain degree of a connecting right. god i mean that's hebrews 13 I, remember i mean he says if you yeah if you know if the if the good fathers discipline their children and they're you know human i'm paraphrasing but that's appropriate for hebrews because somewhere somebody said uh, but but you know <laughs> how much better would your heavenly father who loves you you know give you this and so there's a there's the convicting work of the holy spirit that even allows you to read this um with yeah. a sort of an amen you know i know that this describes me but for the grace of god you know that's a good well thing. there's also i think there's also a, a, i'm sorry to interrupt you there's a, there's a relief there too because the, I think deep down inside, I know deep down inside, we all know, we all know how wicked we are. There, there's a, there's a, a dual, even apart from Christ, there's this, the, the heart does convict us. The, the mind does convict us. And so the, the, the struggle of the human person apart from Christ is to justify the self. Right. How do I, make how do, I, how do okay. I make myself 
okay, yeah, how, how do I how do I justify what I did, what I said, how I live, what I think? This is where the All, phrase "How do I sleep at night?" comes from. Yeah, no. Exactly how do I right. make it so that I can lay my head down at the end of the day and think everything's okay? Exactly, and that's a struggle. That's a, that's a huge burden. When the, when when the gospel comes along, and the first step of that is, hey, no, you know what? You're, there's nothing you can do. Then you you're freed from the struggle of self justification. You can you, right. you're you're free from the burden of the self. That's right. You can lay that down on Christ and say, okay, you know what? I there's nothing I can do. I'm I'm, I'm I I cannot justify myself. It's up to you. You do you is actually an incredible burden. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that's the Greek, you know, the, the autopoiesis is this, you know, auto self and poiesis, like where we get poetas, you know, the author, like self-authoring, uh, self-creation is is uh, not just exhaustive, it's ultimately impossible, but it's, a, it's, it's an effort, um, a fool's errand and a self-destructive one, because eventually you will run out of energy or steam or, or hope, you know, if you're, if tomorrow, you know, I think about that scene from American Beauty, I always think about that one where the realtor, you know, smacks herself around in the morning, she's like, I today. will sell this house yeah. today. It's like, you know, and of course we know a lot about her and how sort of tragic that was. Um, but that is what has come to end it come to an end when we understand ourselves as as sinners but redeemed sinners i mean that's what the whole the whole proclamation of the gospel is about you know paul even says this in romans 2 you know matt to your point he says they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse and even excuse them we talk about you know it wasn't just the jews that had the the law to a certain degree there was all sorts of laws as we talked about that people try to follow so that they can be absolved at the end of the day i mean i think about how many people this is a good exercise for you. Go have a conversation, listen to your conversations and see how many of them are really just attempts by the person with whom you're speaking to get you to absolve them of something. You know, something like, you know, can you believe, like I just got into a fight at the checkout line, but, but let me tell you what this woman did. She had yeah. 12, it only 10 thing. I was in a rush and she, I only had eight and she had 12. And well, I did smash the back of her calf with my, with my, with my car, <laughs> right. or whatever, you know, right. or like, can you believe so-and-so said something to me like this that made me then react in a way that I now feel bad about? Please absolve me. And I, I think just this, broke up with my ex. Let me tell you about her. That's right. It's all right. And so that's what, that's what the difference between doing sinful things and being a sinful person allows you to, to sort of confess. You know, there's like a deeper confession, yeah. calling a thing what it is. And I think that's what the architects of the Turnout article certainly understood because they were they were very aware of Pelagius, you know, as a good Augustinians, the big fight about the, the British monk, of course, you know, it's another gift to the world, who uh, claimed that we could somehow, you know, we were born sort of tabula rasa, you know, like John Locke or or noble savage like Rousseau. You know, I mean, there's just nothing new under the sun. You know, these are, these are, this is what underlies modern educational theory from John Rawls and some of these people is a version of a Lockean sort of blank slate. You know, this is what they're born into the world. And so we need to make sure that, that preschool and kindergarten is, has all the right markers so that we don't mark your kid up in the wrong way. It's like, well, that's an entirely different understanding of what's wrong with your kid. Than, than the Bible gives you. Because yes, there are some very better and worse ways of, of sociologically uh, you know, establishing different things, education yeah. for your child, but fundamentally, they're sinners in need of grace. And this I is remember. common to all humanity, right? We're, not, we're, we're using language now that sounds honestly like critical language, right? That, that your, your sin is not so much what you do, but your sin is, fact, is in fact much more about who you are. But we're talking about this in human terms, not in groups of human terms. We're, we're talking about widespread sin, all of humanity, equally guilty. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, the reason there is 
I guess, systemic injustice is because systems are made up of human individual beings. <laughs> human yeah, right. beings who are all who are all sinners. Yeah, it used to be there's people used to rail uh, me. So I went to a college where it was like 98% Greek. So a lot of people that went Greek. He means uh, fraternities and sororities. That's right. Yeah, I do mean <laughs> that, right. And, um, you know, then of all these people who were come home and visit with your friends and they were de decrying all of the evils that take place um, in fraternities and, and sororities and whatever the case is. And, and to be sure, there's no need to justify a lot of what goes on in a fraternity house. Um, but I also was in the choir and in the um, student government and those parties and those sort of groupings of people uh, had just as much, we should say, systemic sin as a... Uh, as a fraternity did. And so I, I left college with a very clear conviction that groups of more than uh, zero people will be full of sin. Um, and so that's uh, that was sort of the idea. And so yeah. you know, that doesn't mean you excuse any of it where it's found. And, you know, basically the, the work of a, of a good pastor, you know, first with himself and then for his congregation is to help uh, model and lead what, you know, John Owens called the mortification of sin. I mean, we, we, yeah. We fearlessly confess our sins. We, we pray for the sake of our neighbor that we root them out. I mean, I, you know, every time, uh, you know, I look at my children, I want to call my own parents and just thank them for not, you know, throwing me off a bridge or something at one point <laughs> and, and giving me the tools to, to know that I needed to be forgiven, but also to give it to them. You know, it's like, yeah. I saw, and so I think that's where this, this article you know, it does, it puts everyone in the same position by birth. I mean, it's a very radically inclusive yeah. doctrine, original sin, you know. And it I mean, allows us to confess our sins known and unknown, things done and left undone. We are able to say because of our birth sin, we may not even be aware of the way that we're sinning. Yeah. Yeah, well, we're most likely not in right, many ways. Right. I mean, cleanse me of my uh, secret faults, you know, as David says. I mean, it's <laughs> like, it's like, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, yes, probably there is there is a measure of self-service and unbelief mixed up with uh, maybe a dash of malice, um, you know, here and there yeah. in everything yeah. that I do. And Lord have mercy. And the good news is why we sing about it is he has right. had mercy. And so that's, that's what being a Christian is all about, celebrating this. You, you brought it up in... Uh, I think in your first comments, but also later on, the, how this, how the failure to acknowledge this does just terrible damage to you know, child, ra child rearing and marriage. Um, I've seen that. I, I've been a pastor for almost 18 years now. I've seen that over and over again. I mean, parents have this understanding of their kids that they're just, you know, innocent, you know, little tykes. And so, uh, you know, in fact, in seminary, I, I went to a liberal seminary, obviously. Um, we were it's taught. It's not that obvious, actually. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, well, no, I, if you know my background. It's quite shocking. Okay. I went to VTS, right? They so, didn't throw you Virginia out. Virginia Theological Seminary. If you go to Virginia Theological Seminary, we were taught that uh, no is the word for the child to the parent, never for the parent, from the parent to the child, because the child is you know, ex exploring his or her environment and learning. Uh, how to be a, a true, authentic self, and any limitation you put on that child is going to do terrible psychological damage because yes. you know he he or she's just trying to you know, figure things out, and and so you don't want to discipline at all, really, uh, until you know except for safety, you want to make sure they don't run into the street or something like that. But but the assumption, of course, is that the the kid's good, the kid's really, really, really good, and right. you want to let that goodness blossom before you before you impose on it anything uh, from your own traditionalist, negative, 
conservative, clearly yeah. sinful <laughs> background to to somehow tarnish the child. Mm. And that just kills and that compassion. Out in, it, do, oh, it does. And it also gets played out into marriages yeah. where, um, where, okay, we have these, these innocent, you know, lovely, wonderful children for whom I'm going to devote my life. They're going to be number one. If the woman, usually the woman does this. My child is is like the golden child Jesus. <laughs> Not Eddie Murphy. Another great I'm, movie. That's right. <laughs> and I'm going to, I'm, I'm I, and no one's going to come between, between, no one is going to, no, I, that child is more important to me than my husband. Yep. Um, than my church, than anything else. And I'm going to pour my love into that child and protect that child from any negative influences because he, he or she's perfect. Yeah. Um, you know, and Matt, in saying that, it's, you're exactly right. And I think this is, it's just reminding me of how tragic sort of nominal Christianity is, you know, because I hear you speaking and I'm thinking, you know, I've been marrying people now, what, 12, how long have we been ordained, Nick? It doesn't matter, a long time, uh, long enough to, to, uh, to see uh, different types of people come through. And I see the people who have, who have a uh, sort of veneer of Christianity uh, with, without this sort of deep yeah. conception of sin at its, at its heart. And it's almost tragic because there's a lot of sort of the, the hopefulness that I think is actually offered to the gospel, the hope that this God will be in here, um, that there will be a, a growing together spiritually, that we will be able to raise our children in the church. All of this is true and good and right. But when there is this uh, implicit or even explicit rejection of this understanding of sin, well, then it tarnishes the whole enterprise. And so what I found is that because even within the church, there's this understanding of, of, of human flourishing, as it's sometimes called, as self-actualization, well, then what we're saying by this sounds to some ears like just frankly cruel, like cruel and inhuman. You're saying that not, that I'm born into something for which I have no uh, no escape but Jesus. Like there's no hope for me. And, and there's it sounds sort of despairing and nihilistic. And, and I think that's part of the reason why, you know, traditional Christian understandings of sin and redemption are, um, are falling even in churches on, on deaf ears because it's, it requires more than, you know, you know, a one-off event. I mean, the Lord can by the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, turn you around overnight, but more often than not, it's the process of a lifetime of, of saying, you know, I really don't believe that I'm as bad as, as the Bible says I am, you know, judges, none of those people in judges, I would have, wouldn't have done anything like that. You know, like I would have been the most, the best and most courageous person in each of these accounts uh, throughout even the Bible and out of history. And the Bible says that you probably more likely than not would have always been the, the coward, the right turn, there with the, him, right? the rebel, the Peter, the denier, the sinner. You know, and I think that's where um, and Nick has a wonderful talk on this um, about how Christians grow in reverse, which I think is wonderful. But um, talking about how it's it, it's counterintuitive, but the the real beautiful de deepening of your spiritual awareness of your own sinfulness conversely and counterintuitively produces the fruit of the spirit. You know, you you begin to say, my weakness is actually made, um, your strength is displayed in my weakness, that, that I have actually been crucified. You know, like, I know what that feels like, and I don't want to go back to it. You know, these are the sorts of things that sinners say who have been redeemed and are in the mm -hmm. hands of, of their Lord. And, you know, it frightens me. I mean, I, I have to say, like, the older I get, having watched um, my hands 
in retrospect, being pried away from idols that I would in the in the middle of those times would have said this was like a, a a positive thing about my life, you know. And I look back and I say, Lord, you know, please discipline or 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 refine me. But but you know, I ask Liza, like, do, do where can you help me before I have to get to that place again? You know, help me. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think um, that again, that's a function of always coming back to these fundamental principles that were there only one person in the world, me, Christ still would have had to die. Yeah. And that's, um, that's right. a heavy thing to hold, but it's a beautiful thing to proclaim. I, uh, I grew up in the Episcopal Church. I was not a Christian, though, until I was in my 20s, late 20s. Um, and yeah, I went to church. I, that was fine. But in college, I kind of threw the whole church thing away and went off and I was, I became an atheist and then an agnostic and then a some somewhat theist person and, and just this weird, strange spiritual journey um, until my, my actual conversion. And I remember the, I remember, I can remember the day, I can remember what it felt like to, to actually confess, okay, I'm a, I'm, I'm a sinner. <laughs> I need, I need your help. Please help me. Please save me. Uh, I remember that the dramatic change that took place in my life. Just there wasn't a kind of overnight change. I smoked like a pack and a half of cigarettes every day, and then overnight that desire was just crushed. I didn't have it. And I woke up the next morning. I didn't want a cigarette, which is a, it hadn't happened like that for you know, twelve years beforehand. So there was, mm. there was a miraculous in my in my in my mind miraculous conversion. And I remember thinking, oh, you know, things are going to be great from now on. I'm just going <laughs> to you know, it's going to be great. I'm going to you know, all my all the things that that I have trouble with are just going to be just like the cigarettes. Yeah. And, and no, actually, you know, the, now 20 some odd years on, the greater the light that I've been given, the more I Amen. see mm. how much. That's right. How wicked I really am. And, and, the, and again, that's not a painful thing necessarily. It's painful in the sense that I don't want to be that way, but it's not a, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? How am I going to, how am I going to fix this? It's, it's, it's more of a, okay, I don't, that shows me I don't need, I, I, I can't, I shouldn't, and I don't need to rely on myself. Amen. And that in turn enables you to see others in the same light, That's to right. encounter yeah. other people as similarly broken and hurting and in need. And blinded and, and, and confused all, and self-deceived. Yeah, and then compassion blooms. If you, yeah, I mean, it's, if you see others as fundamentally able, then why would you ever have compassion on them? You would say right. either either get your act together to them and be angry at them, or be angry at yourself for not adequately communicating to them what you want them to do. It's that's only right. when you see someone else actually like you in need, like you, that you can have something that Scripture, of course, calls love toward them. <laughs> Right. No, I mean, that's exactly, exactly in, in fitting with, with my sort of conversion story too, uh, Matt. Cause I mean, I, I was um, in college sort of thrown down by um, the existentialists and sort of various uh, philosophy departments and had to, you know, was restructured in fact, along the lines of sort of Christian classical Christian education, um, you know, Augustine and Aquinas and the reformers. And, um, but then I got into this mindset uh, while well, I was shortly out of college working with high school kids about, you know, if I could just get my act together and to get then and sort of clean myself up now. Uh, so could they. And so I had this, this sort of this, 
world that I was inhabiting where I was getting sh more and more shrill, and Laz and I were even engaged at this point, more and more shrill and sort of um, hard-edged with the kids and with the people in my life, uh, but primarily because I was dealing with the frustration of not seeing it manifest overnight in my own. And so, you know, I would get so harder and more um, sort of angular about all sorts of things. And even with Liza, like I'll, we have a, a funny um, event in our life. I went and visited her in college when we were engaged and I was ruffling through her desk for a pin and she had hidden her Beyonce albums because at one point <laughs> I had decided to that only true Christian people listen to uh, DC Talk and, and Petra and other sorts of Christian. And, and I realized at that moment that something was wrong. My she Beyonce was, was you. hiding, hiding Beyonce music from me. And it was literally within two months of that that I went to a class up at Trinity School for Ministry taught by Paul Zoll on law and gospel. Um, and, you know, not unlike John Wesley's experience with Galatian, like my heart was strangely warmed and everything changed. And all of a sudden it was this incredible confession that, that I hope to get better, but not on account of earning or, or being merited anything, but simply because that's the promise that I have in light of the grace of God in Christ. And it was, it changed my life. I mean, I say without, without question, I, in Laz and I, it's not really a joke anymore, because, but I say, you know, I don't know if we would have stayed married. I think we would have, but there are ways to grit out a marriage and there are ways to celebrate one. And I've seen both and I'm grateful to not be in the um, former, but the latter. And it's because of this. It's because that we see each other fundamentally as sinners saved by grace, um, given to each other to, um, <laughs> to, to, to walk this road of, of God's um, refining redemption in our lives. Well, that's going to be the last word we have for this week. Uh, J.D. Koch, thank you. And Matt Kennedy, thank you. We are sinners, yes, originally and by what we say and do and don't say and don't do, but we are so grateful for that good news of Jesus Christ who saves us and raises us to new life in him. And until next week, we'll be standing firm. 